He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Lord, by your mercy, touch one heart that needs it. Touch one person who needs reassurance. Open us to your living word. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any Woody Allen fans here besides Mary Kay? (laughs) Woody Allen has said, Life is full of misery, loneliness, and suffering. And it is all over much too soon. If you follow Downton Abbey, um, like I do, I have to live until next year now. We know that Edith has had challenge after challenge, and she says one day to her grandmother, Sometimes I feel that God doesn't want me to be happy. Her grandmother says, My dear, all life is a series of problems that we must try to solve. First one then the next, and the next, until we die. Would you get me some ice cream, please? I think Ben and Jerry's has made a fortune on things like this. Problems and suffering are unavoidable, no matter how much we try to protect ourselves or our loved ones. From the humiliation of the playground to the breaking of our hearts, we know anguish in our lives. Some suffering is necessary. It is necessary to mature physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The real desolation of the baby, crying in misery because the parent has left, must give way to a more independent child. The the dejection of defeat after having lost the regional championship by one silly point must give way to accepting loss as a part of life. Although in my experience, some parents never have learned this, I'm just saying 
to realize that we are capable of wounding others as others are as capable of wounding us is necessary to grow spiritually, to know that we all are sinners and none superior to the other. And if we are very blessed, we have had someone stick by us in suffering, to love us and accept us so that we can do that with other people. But whatever the cause of suffering, most of us would like to run away from it. No one volunteers for it. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain has written this, You would like to know how I behave when I am experiencing pain and not writing books about it. I will tell you, I am a great coward. When, I've, when I think of pain, of anxiety that gnaws like fire, and loneliness that spreads out like a desert, and the heartbreaking routine of monotonous misery, or again of dull aches that blacken our whole landscape, or sudden nauseating pain, that knocks a man's heart out at one blow, of pains that seem already intolerable and then suddenly increase. If I knew any way of escape, I would crawl through sewers to find it. But what is the good of telling you about my feelings? You know them already. They are the same as yours. Suffering affects us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And sometimes suffering can lead us to question the goodness of God. Mark Twain was raised a Presbyterian, though he was skeptical about many aspects of faith. He was a person of his time, believing that progress and innovation and science would save humanity from many ills. But then he suffered incredible tragedy, having three of his four children die while they were young. His son at 19 months because of diphtheria, Two daughters died at 19 and 24. And in one year, a daughter, a wife, and one of his closest friends died, and he sank into deep depression. In Twain's private writings, understandably, he railed against God. He said things like, If our Maker is all-powerful for good or evil, he is not in his right mind. And perhaps God had created the world with all its tortures for some purpose of his own, but was otherwise indifferent to humanity, which was too petty and insignificant to deserve his attention anyway. Or as I say it sometime, God, what were you thinking? If God is all-powerful and good, then why doesn't God do something about our suffering? This is an ageless question. 
In the Bible, there is no clear answer. At one point, Israel suffers defeat and humiliating loss, and the prophets tell us it is because they turned away from God, neglected the poor, and subverted justice. But in the book of Job, Job has done nothing to deserve the death of his children, and he takes God to task about what God has done. In another place in the life of Joseph, it is clear that God works in and through his misery and imprisonment. But God is often not mentioned. The question, why does God allow evil and suffering, is never answered to our satisfaction. So are we insignificant to God as Mark Twain felt? Does God take our suffering seriously? Yes. Christianity alone among all the world's religions tells us that God suffers. Indeed, God takes suffering so seriously that God the Son becomes a human being, suffering the same things that we do. Jesus is misunderstood, taunted, laughed at, rejected. He prays and his prayer is not answered in the way that he so desperately wants. He endures the emptiness of total abandonment, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the words of an affirmation of faith, God makes himself known in Jesus Christ. Jesus' involvement in the human condition is God's involvement. His compassion for all kinds of people is God's compassion. His demand for justice, truth, and faithfulness is God's demand. His willingness to suffer rejection is God's willingness Jesus' love for the very people who reject and kill him is God's love for us. Nicole Ball is a member of our church. She works at a chaplain in a hospital. She works on the ward where people are very ill, most of whom who will die there. She describes that at times, People feel like they're wading through sewers. Her job, she said, is to offer the love of God, which they may only hear in their lives from her. She has in her imagination two pairs of boots, one pair she puts on and one she offers to the patient. And in her mind's eye, she's linking arms with them to walk together through the sewer of pain. She can do this, she said, because somebody else handed her a pair of boots. Jesus, in a real way, 
gets down in the, into the terrible, messy, and unbearable sewers of life with us. Jesus knows the suffering personally. Jesus is with us in our suffering. We proclaim that through Jesus, sin and death are finally defeated, if not in this life, then in the new creation. I have a family member with mental illness. She will not be healed in this life, and I pray fervently for her to know wholeness and goodness and the life that follows. We are promised that there will come a time when pain and evil and tears will be no more. I do not say this lightly, for I too have known inconsolable times when prayer seemed useless. And yet I hang on to the promises. We hang on to the promises knowing that in the face of Jesus, we see the love of God that will not let us go. I was visiting an elderly member of our church who lost the use of her legs some years ago. She had a, an infection that really took a long time to heal. I said, how are you? And she said, I am fine. Jesus did not abandon me when I became lame. And Jesus will not let go of me now. John Claypool, an Episcopal pastor, lost his eight-year-old daughter to leukemia. He spoke of it often, and one of the people who heard him came up afterwards and said, So where was God in your suffering and in the life of your daughter? And he replied, Jesus was weeping with us. Jesus was holding our daughter and surrounding her with love. Thanks be to God.